Chris Nerdly on 77 WABC, the crown jewel of American radio. And my friends, welcome. It is indeed our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. If you are just waking up, have that first cup of coffee with us or tea. If you're like half Britain it here, who, you know, tea time, tea time. And uh, Derek Hunter is already here. Can't wait to chat with him in a few seconds. Later on today, we will hear from the legendary, the one, the only, Princess Diana will be with us, as well as America's small caffeinated moms and you. Your calls at 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. There's Derek. me. <laughs> Derek, yeah. we got so much stuff. Wait a minute. You, Derek. You're, you're, let me just say that Rosalind, you're a British sounds Australian. Yeah, that's what I keep hearing. So I'm, I didn't say you're supposed to be British. I never said. Australian is still part or of the mix. Brit. Doesn't it sound doesn't even sound half Brit. That's half Brit Nick. He the half half Brit Nick is half British. That's why I call him that. He's half Brit Nick. But you sound Australian. He's a real deal. You sound Australian. Yeah, I know. You sound Australian when you do it, mate. That's your problem right there. Well, okay, brilliant. Okay, fine. (laughs) Okay, listen, Derek, let me just lay some stuff out there. Do it. We got George, Lion George. Lion George is gone. We yeah, had some it's a politician who lies. Lady. A, thank God we finally got rid of that politician who lies. Well, the Republicans we saved. We, we, we had two deaths this week, and we're not laughing about either one of them, Rosalind Carter and then Sandra Day O'Connor. We also can I, can had... I, can I just point out that, that it, my whole life it's been Rosalind Carter, and then when she died it was Rosalind Carter, and everybody was kind of insistent that it was Rosalind it's not Rosalind Carter. It's Rosalind Carter. It's just like it's not Kiev. It's Kiev. These people just like to change things so they can correct you, and it's annoying. Did I say Rosalind or Rosalind? I you thought said I said Rosalind. Rosalind. You said it right. You said it right. And like, yes, yes. Rosalind. Yes, yeah, Rosalind I've heard Say it right. You've, you're one of few people yeah. I've heard say it right. All right, it was Rosalind. And, <clears throat> okay, point. so, all right, never mind. Thank you. No, no, and, and I, I appreciate the point. But, Derek, and then we had, we, we have all this news about immigration. We've got, like, these court cases with the with Trump. They want everybody and their mother's, grandmother's, uncle's babysitter to sue him for for January 6th. And then you have the court saying, no, let's get those those orange things out of the water down there in Texas. Let the immigrants in. And, and then we've Is got filthy... No, the, oh, not that orange. Those other orange things. Then uh, we you know have. What? We should pull then, those things out of the water. We should populate the Rio Grande with piranha and alligator. <laughs> Solve the problem right there. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, we have. Let's see what else. On top of that, we had the big debate. The debate, the debate, mm-hmm. right? We had the debate between Ron DeSantis and Governor and 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 your Governor out there in California, and and so from? everybody's like, really, five million people watched that thing. Oh yeah, and and yeah, five million people. I saw the numbers today. Five, five and million a half people million. watched it. Which, I mean, don't even don't don't five and on and the other half million. It's five and a half million. Which means, oh, the L.A. Times was hysterical. 
the L.A. Times kept talking about how Newsom was on the defensive because of the topics that Hannity brought up, like taxes and crime and late-term abortion. And I'm saying, I, too, was shocked that Sean Hannity was a conservative and did exactly what he said he was going to do. It's a, it's a, see, mm-hmm. In the world of politics, in the world of journalism, people are always shocked and uh, disturbed by people being who they are, being honest, and uh, you know doing what they say they're going to do. It's a complete. Like, what, so, did, what do you mean he followed the so, promises? This is weird. I'm scared. So with with all of that and and other news that I didn't even get to, like what's inside your body. There was a guy this week, and I said, I'm going to reprise the story, and I am going to reprise it, but I'm going to do more of this when you're gone in the second hour, because I'm going to wait for Nursey Nurse to wake up, So, because I have a question to ask her about that. Derek, did you know there was a guy this week that was pulled over, and police asked him if he had anything on him. They found some drugs, some, some, some Percocet or something in his sock. Okay, then they found some other drugs behind his scrotum, and then... They took him to jail, and when he was in jail, they noticed he was walking strangely. So they asked him, well, what? okay, you go for the scan. Derek, the guy had a Smith & Wesson 380 stuck up his rectum. You only have so many pockets. You can't fit one of those behind the scrotum. It'll fall right out. Especially if you're driving a stick. It's not good. You risk. Shooting certain things right off. In what? Where was he going? Where was I, he going? I what was his know. plan for the night? That is like, and you know what? I'm going to bring all the drugs I can possibly carry, but just in case, I'm going to put a big gun up my butt. Like, just, I don't know what your plan is, but I want to read his autobiography. I want to see that movie. It has a right angle, Derek. How do you even never? I, I'll, I'll hold I don't, those questions. You ask, how do you do? I, you know what? It's the that's American why I'm going to spirit, for- James. It's that can-do spirit that made this country great. You can get a right angle up. You can go all the way up to a, a, an eighty-seven degree angle, and with uh, without any lubricant. And after that, it's just uh, sheer force of will and having been to prison. I guess I don't know. <laughs> well, he's going back to prison, so um, he'll be a hit uh, anyway. But 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 before but, all of that, but, Derek, but, I ha- but is right. I have to ask you this, and this I don't mean to throw you for a loop, <laughs> but today is an anniversary of something that's big, and at least at least it was big in American history when I was in school, which was decades before you wait, appeared wait, 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 on the wait, planet. Wait, let, me, let me think for a second. Today is the anniversary of something. It's December 2nd. It's not Pearl Harbor Day. There's nothing on my calendar. An anniversary? I don't Okay, I, don't, I can't even fathom what this is an anniversary of. Okay. This is the anniversary of the Monroe Doctrine. This is when President Monroe declared pretty much, and I'm going to try to sum up Stay the Monroe Doctrine in my own ways. No get, out of, get, a, get out of our backyard. Yeah. Get off my lawn. And he said, we're not going to interfere with Europe. That's you you people over there. And and you people stay out of our business. Well, the whole thing was over BS. Here. We did nothing but interfere with Europe. And we didn't do much when the Soviet Union interfered over here. But it sure sounded good. Well, see, this is what I was going to ask you. Now, I think 
that to a certain degree, many Americans still hold the view, and I could be wrong, that what happens in the Western Hemisphere, except when you get to Mexico and then down south, is our business. (laughs) What happens in the Western Hemisphere, except for 90% of it. Right, is our business. Yeah, well... um... And... And no, but no. but is that whole Monroe Doctrine thing with the way that the world is set up now globally? Is that just like a nice little tidbit in history, or does a sphere of influence? This is the question that I have for you. And and I respect your your knowledge of history, which is why I'm asking you. Does is saying that the United States has a sphere of influence, and this is our national interest? Is that a workable foreign policy doctrine for this age, or is that just long gone out the window? It's workable, but it's not static borders. It's fluid. It's like gender, James, just like gender. It's fluid. So there are certain places where we have influence, certain places where we don't, where it ebbs and flows, where we don't care. Quite honestly, most of the islands in the Pacific, especially in the southern hemisphere, we don't care what goes on down there and they don't care what goes on over here. So, you know, if it's Japan, we're interested. If it's the Philippines, we have influence. We're interested. If it's China, we're interested, but we don't have any influence. It just it you can't have a this is our backyard. Get out. I mean, we've already lost that with with Cuba, with all of the communist uh, Soviet aggression in South and Central America. It honestly didn't really matter when we had a southern border that was enforced and, you know, people weren't flying, walking across it, filing into the country. Um, it, It changes all the time. So it's the concept is right, but there is no static place. Look, if the Canadians elect somebody with uh, you know some common sense instead of uh, Castro's kid mm-hmm. they we will have more influence <laughs> over Canada if France goes radical left we'll have less influence etc cetera, etc cetera. so it's like uh, it's a constantly changing thing it's like the whole world is high school with paychecks really big paychecks and the ability to destroy the whole world but uh, not, ultimately, it is high school with paychecks. We just happen to be the longtime captain of the football team dating the cheerleader. So uh, that can change, too. Our ability, if we go down the path, continue down the path that we're going, and frankly, I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet, but if we continue down this path of spending money and manipulating our um, economy to try and prop it up better than it is we're going to eventually have to pay the piper the piper always gets paid uh we will lose our influence we're sort of seeing our influence ebb a little bit in those countries now they're hostile countries to begin with but trying to get rid of our currency as the as the global currency um yes there's always a threat to and that is a the king that of the mountain. There's huge... no only where, if you're the king of the mountain. There's only one place to go. There's only one direction to go. It's down. And... How long you stay up there is is up to you. We have people coming after us. We have countries coming after us, and we're undermining ourselves. I don't know which one will get us. I think the main reason we haven't seen a collapse of our currency and serious 
economic woes is because so much the entire world is sort of in on this let's just spend money and pretend that there are no consequences to printing money kind of joke occasionally there's a zimbabwe where you have to hyperinflation and have to create a 100 trillion dollar bill but uh, the rest of the world is not all that different from Zimbabwe, except for maybe the percentage of debt to GDP slightly, but we're getting there. So I think that mostly we haven't had consequences because it's a it's a scam that everybody's in on. <laughs> eventually, right. eventually we're we're still going to lose. We're still going to lose out, but it just is taking much longer because, you know, it, everybody's in on the joke. Now, <clears throat> switching gears, many months ago, you spoke very authoritative, anyway, you spoke very convincingly. Authoritatively, I believe is the word. That's what the word I was looking for, thank you. It got hung up in my mouth, mm -hmm. which is not something I say often. It's stuck on um, your Australian <clears throat> accent. That's right. And so, um, so... You talked very convincingly about the need for conservatives to stop with the preachy movies, the value stuff, do something that has really good production values that looks like a movie that doesn't come off preachy. No, no, no. And... I, I said, I remember what I said. I was there. Okay, then tell us what you said. I said, be good at make a, a good movie first if you're going to be a conservative band don't be a conservative band just be a good band if you're going to be a conservative don't be a conservative comedian just be a comedian be funny be whatever it is you're supposed to be first anything else is is secondary if there's a joke to be made at the expense of republicans or conservatives make it be the job is to be funny the job is to entertain the job is to whatever it is do the job first we don't own the industry, so we can't just basically open up your mouth and jam this stuff down and shower it with awards and, you know, get it put on school curriculum so people have to watch. We don't have the ability to force an audience. We've got to make good products. Good products will ultimately win, especially when it comes to entertainment. So be good first. So in that spirit, I saw my nephew asked me the other day, had I seen the trailer for a new movie called Lady Ballers. Mm. I had not seen it. I watched the trailer and it was, I was laughing out loud at the trailer. The premise uh, without, I don't, the premise is a bunch of, I guess, old and or older and, and, and washed up wannabe athletes that are guys figured out, hey, wait a minute. We can play sports now. And this is by con a conservative group. This it's is a joke I made on your show many times. Yes. It's Michael Jordan. I know. I have, look, I'm way ahead of the curve, James. It's just part of the curse of being me. That, you know, sooner or later, retired middle-of-the-road NBA players are going to go, uh, okay, I'm riding the bench. It's, I'm past my prime. I'm gonna re but I don't really want to retire. You know what? I'm gender fluid. I'm going to go dominate in the WNBA. Now, there'd only be 12 people to see that, but still, you could go and dominate in the WNBA. The world record for the 100-meter dash it, for women would not have qualified for the finals in the Olympics for men. 
it's, it's second. Now, <laughs> it, it's true. It's, it's like a second and a half difference between the world record for for women and the slowest qualifying time in the last Olympics for men. And you sit there, well, one and a half seconds, that's nothing. One and a half seconds when you're running, one and a half seconds in distance at top speed is gigantic. It's like 10 yards. It, it's not even close. There's differences between the genders. Uh, suddenly I'm, you know, history's greatest monster for pointing that out, but it's true and viva la difference because none of us would be here without that difference. But uh, yeah, it's it's good to see that the Daily Wire has decided to listen to me, and <laughs> mockery is the sincerest form of of, uh, of argument, I think, and it is important that people do. Now I don't, I haven't seen the movie. Uh, I would watch it, but I'm not, I'm not a member of the Daily Wire. But uh, I'll watch it at some point. I'm sure I've got somebody's password I could cop. But um, oh, it is. It's good. Just the get a membership. The production values look good, which is good. Yes. Some of the In acting. The they do. Looks, the problem is, if I could say there's a problem, and I haven't seen it, so we'll take this for what it's worth. We have to fill the time. But the problem appears to be that um, it was done in secret, so you had to get people you could trust, which means you had to get like-minded people. And some of the acting... Is fine, but it could maybe have been better. I, my biggest problem with most conservative movies that I've seen that were, you know, we're conservative, and I hope it doesn't seem like they did that in this one. But like, uh, remember, uh, oh God, was it, was it Christmas, a Christmas Carol or something like? It wasn't a Christmas Carol, an American Carol. Remember that movie where it was no, one, I one of the guys it. who did Airplane made a conservative movie. It starred Chris Farley's brother. I think John Voight had a cameo in it. This was maybe when Mitt Romney was running. It was either 2008 or 2012. I remember uh, when this came out. I had the DVD. I, I watched it once, and I was like, Because it was, it was like two rewrites away from being a passable movie, but they rushed it. Mm -hmm. This one doesn't seem to suffer from that. And the acting, the, the, I don't know if the acting's good or bad. I just know that I've never rec never seen any of the actors and, like, uh, some of the casting seems to have done, been through social media uh, people. But it looks fine. It looks good. It, to it's, me, this I'm looks like it meets the bill. I Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward. I'm going to watch it. I'm looking forward to seeing this. Uh, it just, the first thing you I thought when I was password. looking at the trailer. You, oh, you, have a, you have a membership? Some... Not yet. I'm going to get Wait, one. Get Unlike you. You lecture me. Well, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get a membership uh -huh. and just do that. it. I believe um, that when so you text listen. me. It. Text it to me. But I didn't say I was going to steal and give them give you the password. Oh, by the way, Rolling Stone went off on the death of Henry Kissinger this week. We should probably. I don't know whether Look, that story is over. I, uh, we got a little break. Post, Let's deal with that when we get back. Didn't the Washington Post use something Christopher Hitchens wrote in their uh, announcement of his death? Christopher Hitchens. Was I don't a good remember. I don't mine. know. Christopher Hitchens was a good friend of mine. He did not like uh, Henry Kissinger. Wrote a whole book about how Kissinger was basically the devil incarnate. But uh, and sadly, Christopher passed away. I, I do miss him. The anniversary of his death is in my calendar. It is uh, coming up. It's the fifteenth, I believe. Yeah, the fifteenth of December. Um, wow! But if you got to go, and we got to take a break. We're coming back. All right.
Led Zeppelin is taking us in. Now, on this day in 2012, they received a prestigious, a most prestigious award from Barack Obama, of all people, for their the contribution to American... Uh, prize for uh, joint rolling on album covers or something? Is that what it was? I guess. Anyway, they did show you, up How many the album House covers they, did you no, use to Kennedy, roll a joint? How many album covers did you use to roll a joint? What was your favorite I one? didn't use album covers. No? I didn't use album covers. What was the point? No, I had was, I just rolled them. For? Yeah. Bonga. I didn't use I album covers. You're a bonga. No, I wasn't a bong guy. I was before bongs. We didn't have bongs back then. Back in Kennedy my day, Central we didn't Honors have was bongs. where they did it. <clears throat> That's right. We just Hollowed out. Never apples. mind. We gotta go to a break. Go to a break. We're talking about I used to, drugs. I used to I, like I used him. to know how to do that really well. Roll a joint. Bamboo. I apple. still remember. We're coming back. 800-848-WABC. The Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Now, here's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC. Duran Duran brings us back Rio. On this day, 2016, they lost the case at the high court to reclaim the U.S. copyrights to some of their songs, including this one. They were a little ticked off. Also, you know, one of my favorite Duran Duran's uh, View to a Kill, they lost that one too. How do you lose the rights to your song? It's a copyright issue that I'm not quite sure of. 35 years, after 35 years, there's a period of time that you can hold it, then after that. Right. I, but I thought you could renew it for another, and apparently something happened there. Maybe, Maybe they forgot. I don't know, but they there's lost. A of, there's a lot of, I know a very prominent domain uh, that the person who was in charge of the website yeah. forgot to renew the domain. Uh-oh. And somebody said, hey, boom, got it. And then they had to pay a bunch of money to buy it back because they stupidly were mismanaged. Um, I'm not going to say what the website is because I know the person who, who was responsible for it at the time. But it was one of those things where you, you, you don't pay attention. There are people who just sit there. The parasite class. And I don't know if you can call it parasite. I mean, it's the law. It's the rules. If you play by the rules... Uh, you they are parasites. Rule. What? They are opportunists. Rather, opportunists, not... not necessarily parasites. True. Okay. By the but way, if, you, if you're walking stuff... down the street and right there's a a five hundred million dollar domain name, wouldn't you go pick it up? Yeah, I would. I'd be an opportunist. Okay. So, <laughs> so did you watch the debate with? Uh, did you watch the debate with um, uh, uh, what's his name, uh, uh, Newsom? Gasm and um and 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 DeSantis. Yes. What did you think? You know, <clears throat> I thought that Gavin Newsom was a used car salesman going in, but I don't think he would make it as a used car salesman. <laughs> I was shocked at how <laughs> I was shocked at how bad he was. I look, I expected him to blow smoke up my rear end to the point that I could probably puff out some smoke rings, but he didn't even bother to try. 
he would not come within uh, the time zone of the questions. Now, granted, look, I give him props. He showed up. And the president won't, will barely take a question from, from Peter Ducey and won't go anywhere near somebody as innocuous as, as Brett Baer or Martha McCallum for an interview. They just won't do it. So the fact that Gavin Newsom showed up, he gets props for. I think his answers were all wrong when he got around to somewhat addressing the question, but most of the time he didn't address the question. What what was his answer for why it was that people were fleeing California like Godzilla just came out of the Pacific Ocean? He didn't have an answer for it. He didn't even come close. He didn't even try to explain why it was that the state was hemorrhaging residents under his watch. So he didn't get anywhere close to talking about anything true related to violence, violent crime, his state's reaction to COVID or anything like that. He just flat out lied. What I say when he couldn't be a used car salesman is you'd be sitting there looking at a a car. I remember one of the family trucksters we had growing up was a brown station wagon, brown Chevy station. It was covered in rust growing up in Michigan. Everything's covered in salt in the winter back when we had really serious winters and um, it had a nice Z-Bart sticker on the back of it for rust proofing. And we always wanted to just joke about putting it in front of the Z-Bart store and letting it rot in front of it. Uh, he's looking, he's standing in front of that car and it's got four flat tires. The engine is gone and all the windows are broken. And he's sitting there telling you, this is a brand new car just off the line. It's the latest model. This is the style of the time. <laughs> he wasn't even trying. It was so, I mean, he was trying, but he was trying something different. It's like, hey, what do you, wh- tell me about this car. And he's like, well, those are really nice pants you've got on there. Like, That's not the question. Tell me about this car. Well, <laughs> can I tell you that your wife's really pretty? Like, I am. I was shocked. Speaking at of his wife, was. speaking of his wife, yes. there are stories that she's the one that shut down the debate. They wanted to go overtime, and his wife, I guess, was really taking an objective look at what was happening. And she's like, "Oh hell no!" No, Get she was mad off. because Governor New- uh, Governor DeSantis rightly pointed out how her parents moved to Florida. They arranged right. a hot air balloon to escape from communist California and got to Florida as quickly as possible. So. Yeah, but it was funny because right before that break, Gavin Newsom was like, yeah, no, I'll keep going. Let's do this thing. Let's do this thing. And then, oh, uh, they have obligations. Here's here's the thing. It's like saying I have to go. I have to catch a flight when you're governor. I have to catch a flight. And you know that they're flying private. The plane is like, well, you weren't here at 10 o'clock, governor. We took off without you. That's not how private flights work. It, your Your next event at whatever, 10.30 or 11 o'clock, what were they doing at that point? Did they have like a key party they had to get to or something? But your next event will wait for you because your event, if you're having one, is about you. Most of the time at 11 o'clock at night, you're probably just going to bed. There was nothing else. But they just, uh, when they say, oh, no, we've got something else to do, we have to go, you can't really call BS on that. But it was BS. He got his rear end handed to him, and they had to go get one surgically put back on him so he could sit down again. Does and oh, we got to take another break? But when we come back, and then we'll move on to other things and grab some calls. I want to ask you: Do you think that this debate was important anyway? Will it have any lasting impact on anything, or was it just entertainment for a night? Uh, WABC Talk Radio seventy seven. James Golden with you, Snurly.
Oh, got some actual rhythm going on here. I don't know this version. This is Do You Think I'm Sexy, but it's not. Uh, I'm more used to the, uh, the goth version. Yeah, it doesn't sound like Rod Stewart to me. Yeah, I know. I'm looking. Yeah, we were going to play Do You Think I'm Sexy in honor of Rod Stewart today, but this is. This sounds like Keith Sweat's version. There's another version out there that uh, I can't say the name of the band. It starts with revolting, and then it has to oh. do with the part of an anatomy that I prefer. Oh, I don't know how you name cool. your band like the, the riot? I, I don't. I don't understand how you name your band the revolting uh, male chickens. And it still managed to have a hit, but that's what I grew up on. <laughs> We're coming back. Derek Hunter's with us here. Your calls to 800-848-WABC on our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Come on, honey. Let's spend the night together. Now, hold on a minute. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Saturday Morning Radio Extravaganza. Now, here's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC. Nineteen sixty-nine. Cindy Bird song of the Supremes was kidnapped at knife point by a maintenance man who worked in the building that she lived. She escaped by jumping out of his car on the San Diego freeway. Law enforcement caught up with the uh, kidnapper Four days later, in Las Vegas, now, that must have been scary. Would you flee to Vegas? What I need to do I'll is go really. to the biggest surveillance state on the earth. They'll never think to look, look for me where they could see me everywhere. <laughs> oh, man. So do you think this Newsom, uh, 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 the Gasm, DeSantis debate is going to have any impact on anything at all? What I think and what I hope are two different things. No, I don't think it will. Um, but I wish that it would. I, like I said, I give I give Gavin Newsom props for for showing up, and I believe that uh, if it were if MSNBC had had the it, see, it would never occur to MSNBC to have this. Conservatives are confident in our views, so you want to debate? Let's debate. Liberals are not. That's why they try and shut everybody up. Like it's nonstop. Shut up. Shut your mouth. Don't talk. You can't talk. 
uh, hate speech, racism, monster, this, that, and, the, and they just, you know, this is what democracy looks like as somebody tries to speak, ironically not recognizing that that is decidedly not what democracy looks like in any way, shape, or form. So they have no ability, no confidence in their, their thoughts, their policies, their beliefs to be able to defend them. They usually live in worlds that, and, and social media has only exacerbated this, and conservatives suffer from this somewhat. But uh, where you, you can create a worldview where you never hear a contrary opinion. Well, you'll wake up and be Pauline Kale. Well, gee, I don't know how Nixon got reelected. I don't know anybody who voted for him because you've lived your whole life on the Upper West Side or wherever it was that she lived. And you wouldn't, you know, there's nobody there who would disagree with you. Uh, conservatives are used to going and challenging people who are being challenged and standing up to it. You go to anywhere pretty much and give a speech and there's going to be somebody there going, well, you're a monster. And what about this? Liberals don't allow that. They don't stand for that and they won't accept it anymore. So I would like to see more of this. MSNBC, like I say, would never do this because Rachel Maddow never occurred to her to entertain the idea. She takes half truths and weird conspiracy theories and weaves together a a tapestry of BS and her audience laps it up like it's gravy and they got the last biscuit at Thanksgiving. So it's, it's a different world. The world would be better off if it were because in the battlefield of ideas, conservatism easily wins, but that's part of the reason why the left won't debate. So the impact will be Fox will continue. I, I, I suppose MSNBC or CNN will try to do something like this. Success, you know, uh, imitation is the sincerest form of copyright infringement and no good idea goes unstolen. But <laughs> they won't be able to do it because I don't think they understand why it worked in the first place. Um, so I'd like to see Fox do it again. I don't know who they'd get. Would it be like Christy Nome versus Gretchen Whitmer? Oh, you can get you can get a lot of people. Oh, I would love no, you, to see you could, that one. You could offer it to a lot of people, but I can't imagine Gretchen Whitmer accepting that because while Gavin Newsom has had the uh, content in the front of his underpants to go on Fox and to face uh, less than loving media the rest of the left does not they have their content in the back of their underpants and they run only to their safe spaces you have to be willing to go outside of your comfort zone and there are liberals who are so keen on the belief that they are right and they are so self-righteous they would jump at the chance and i'd like to see no, some of that let's they've got to be elected and being elected and going someplace where not you are not ruled over look. is a risk. And politicians, most of the time, are risk averse. Gavin Newsom doesn't have to worry about it because he's in California. If he got caught throwing puppies into a wood chipper, he'd still get 60% of the vote. And he is the, the only plan B Democrats have if Joe Biden falls down a flight of stairs again. So Wait a minute. You forgot Michelle. No, I didn't. Okay. No, look, Just... Michelle Obama is a great concept. Nobody wants her. Nobody. There's no groundswell. What does she stand? Nobody knows. She's not. She doesn't want the job either. She's insane. She's raking in money hand over fist. You skipped right over the vice president of the United States. But I wrote in the Hill this week. They oh. can't. They. They're Democrats. Which, who, are kind of what screwed. vice president? 
Yeah, exactly. Ooh. See, the Democrats are screwed. They've spent the last 20 years at least hammering into people that people's skin color and their gender and whatever else matters more than anything else. You should identify with somebody who lives 3,000 miles away who has the same sexual fetish that you do rather than your next-door neighbor. You shouldn't worry about your next-door neighbor if they're different from you. They don't share that sexual fetish. So identity politics is king. They celebrated Kamala Harris as she's the first black woman. She's the first Asian woman. She's only Asian when it's suitable, when it's acceptable, when it's helpful to them. Otherwise, she's the first black woman. She's the first woman. She's this, that, the other thing. And then you're going to tell me that you're going to pass her over for a rich white guy or straight rich white guy? He's the only viable candidate. Kamala's only role right now is to make Joe Biden look popular by by comparison, and she's doing a great job of that. She's literally the only person, except for maybe George Santos, who has a lower approval rating than Joe Biden. So they don't want her, but they can't skip her. They need to weekend at Bernie's Joe across the finish line because they know <laughs> Kamala is a loser. They'd much rather have Gavin Newsom, but they can't go for the rich, straight white guy over the black woman who's historic. So they're screwed. So they need Joe to get across the line on somehow. Well, Adam in Mineola, switching gears. Adam, good morning. What would a Saturday morning extravaganza be without you and you and Derek? Yeah. Hello, Adam. Good morning, Bo and Derek. Hey. Good um, morning. You always <laughs> sound like I used to. Man, you drank too much and smoked too many cigarettes last night. No, I don't. Like, we got a great radio voice, though. It's awesome. I wish I sounded like that. He does have a great yeah, radio voice. Thanks. Great man. threatening like, voice, you know, too. Uh, Look, to give curious. me a job, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but we're, yeah, radio is just so flush with cash, and everybody's just getting rich nonstop. We can just throw right. it everywhere. I, I tell you what, I will personally pay double what I'm getting paid for this to you, Adam. I appreciate it. I got two things to say. Like one is about that guy Shogun. He got stabbed up 22 times in that prison. Mm. You know, he lived, but I think he's going to get some more. They're not done with him. They're going to keep hunting him down until they get him out of there. That, that's my opinion on that. And, uh, you know, they kicked George Santos out of Congress for 23 felonies, but Donald Trump got 91 felonies, and he's the Republican frontrunner. Yeah, like, they like, kicked George Santos out of Congress because the uh, ethics committee found violations. It had nothing to do. Look, you don't. I get it. You don't like George Santos. Does anybody like George Santos? He's like a, a gay weeble. Nobody wants him around. But. <laughs> but. You don't want people kicked out. You don't want you want somebody to be convicted before there are punishments. You just want people convicted. He's accused. Now he violated ethics. That's the conviction. That's the what is predicated on. But if you just or you kick people out who are accused of crimes or uh, being indicted, certainly not a good look. But it is not a conviction. And we have due process rights. You're innocent until proven guilty. So in that no, sense, we, we don't. don't. Want, we, we should. We at least pretend. Yeah, we, we used to have it. Yeah, we used to pretend it. Yeah, so no, we don't. You don't want to just start immediately. Look, if society judges somebody, if your neighbor's accused and charged of murder but not convicted, 
and you go, you know what, honey, let's not invite them to the party. That's fully understandable. But it's when government says, well, then let's just uh, treat him as, the, let's put barbed wire around his house and make sure he can't leave the house. That's a little bit different. What people do and what government does are different. And I don't wow. know what government does to become the, uh, the government accuse you of something and then you suddenly are guilty of it. Well, there you go, Adam. A um, That description of uh, George Sampson, I have never heard that description before. Time for us to check in with a break. We're coming back. Derek Hunter is here. Your call is welcome, 800-848-WABC. Birthday today, Nate Mendel, American bassist with the Foo Fighters. Tell it, hey, did you ever meet Dave Grohl, James? Yes, I did. Well, there you go. Thank oh, you, wait, Derek. You, uh, you, something just fell out of your pocket. The name. Pick it up. You asked me. I didn't I, volunteer. I, I, I preempted you. There's a difference. I wasn't going to even of mention you it. Weren't. Never, never. You would never do such a thing. I apologize unreservedly. Derek, do you know whose birthday was yesterday? I'll give a name. You probably never heard of him. Wait, was it, wait I know whose birthday it was yesterday because I went to it. Who? A six-year-old girl named Nina that was friends with my daughter. No. I was at the party. Jocko, it truly was her birthday. Well, happy birthday, Nina, but it was also <laughs> Jocko Pistorius' birthday. Ever heard? Do you ever hear of him, Derek? <laughs> Didn't think so. Didn't think so. He only happens it to be one of the, the greatest bad. bass player in the world. So maybe but you wouldn't you know it because once. it's no because you, it's real music. It's Flea, real music. Flea is probably the greatest bass player. Of all time. Derek wouldn't know because it's jazz. Ooh, yeah. Real yeah. No, music. I wouldn't because I have taste. No, Flea, <laughs> Flea is probably the best bass player of all time. Paul McCartney's pretty damn good. But oh, yeah, some, stop! Some obscure. Not even dude. in the same league. Something, They're not even what? in the same. It's, you give me a solid month of. Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Now, here's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC. MTV airs the full 14-minute version of this, Michael Jackson's Thriller for the First Time, Game Changer, now regarded as the most Influential pop music video of all time. A year later, 2009, that video was inducted into the National Film Registry of the Library of Congress. The first music video ever to receive this honor for being culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. You know what we learned about Michael Jackson since the oh, thriller here album? We go. Here we go. Here we go. Here we if go. You just listen to the lyrics. Here we go. It puts it in a completely different perspective. Here we go. 
You know, it's close to midnight and something evil's lurking in the dark. Is that a racist thing that you Under just the, went yeah, into? Yeah, that's it, exactly. No, it's more of a poor Macaulay Culkin. This sounds like a night of terror. <laughs> oh! Oh! Under the moonlight, oh, you see oh, a speaking, sight that speaking. almost stops your heart. Like, oh, my God, he's which, here. No wonder they don't speaking, put locks on these guest rooms. Speaking of which, have you seen the mamas and papas, uh, 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 the guy that was the, the papa, and, and what's this girl's name? She was in that, that, that anyway, that story's out there, too. A 10-year incestuous relationship with his daughter. That, that uh, You're talking about John Phillips and... Uh, yes! McKen yeah, from, uh, she was on One Day at a Time. And they were both junkies. Uh, junkies together. Family that shoots up together, does grosser things together. Um yeah, that story's been out there for forever. And Michelle Phillips wrote, or Michelle, Mackenzie Phillips wrote that. I think she confessed that. Like, look, I, I you don't do yeah, that. Yeah, well, it's, it's in the papers. I just. You, you did to sell some books and get on Oprah. You don't. She, I think she confessed that when her biography came, autobiography came out and she was on Oprah. Um, that's, that's take to the grave kind of stuff. Like, I, I don't get why you. I like, was in a dressing room. I was in a dressing room with, with uh, Phillips. Uh, this happened. I was doing the politically incorrect show back in the day at ABC. Mm -hmm. And I, I was on with the, the, the woman of Mamas and Papas. And she Michelle was bragging. Phillips. Oh, man. Michelle, and she was bragging about how her husband had this very open. It was just, I, I was flabbergasted by the conversation. Like That's all I will say. It? She was bragging about the relationship that the dad had with the daughter. At the time, I didn't know it was incest, no, but it was bragging it about was, Yes, it was hinting that he was asking her when she was a virgin, whether she was a virgin and whether stuff well, like that. They were talking about this in the dressing they room. They got divorced in 1970. Like, ugly stuff. They got divorced in 1970. I don't um, know. I didn't follow it all. It was just ugly. She was also married to Ugh. Steve Hopper for about 20 minutes. No, back yeah, in the height was... of her powers. She, but, you know, hippies, man. What are you going to do? They're gross. I don't know. <laughs> Let's head back to the phones. Uh, Marie in Poughkeepsie, you're up next on WABC. How are you? I'm fine. And the reception on hold is so much better than what I get from my radio. I enjoy listening. I just called because I miss Mark Stein so much. And ah. where did, what happened to him? Mark is thankfully still with us. Mark suffered multiple heart attacks while he was overseas. And uh, Mark is doing a cruise in February. It's still on. Um, Mark's hair is a little different. He's turned gray or white. Or, But Mark is, 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 is hanging in there. He's had a bit of a health issue, but Mark is still hanging in there. And you he's went still on a um, you went on the last Mark Stein cruise. Yeah, I did. It was and was awesome. Next one? I don't know. I think so. Yes, okay. I would like to hook a brother up, man. Come on. Okay. I. 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 But anyway, Mark is doing well, and 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 that gives me an opportunity to say, of course, and many of you know that Mark Stein was um, among the longest-serving guest hosts of the Rush Limbaugh show. Mark sat in for Rush quite often. Second best and, guest host in the show's history right behind Walter Williams. 
I was about to mention Walter. Funny you should say that. Walter Williams. And we have another former guest host of the Rush Limbaugh show with us right now. That would be Derek Hunter, who sat in for Rush. It is a an, an honor that very few broadcasters have had. And uh, Derek did exceedingly well, and Derek is just amazing. So um, he doesn't know a damn thing about jazz, doesn't know anything about real music. But when it comes to politics, wow, and culture... And the li- and the and the rest of it. He's and good just, music that people actually like that you don't hear. Should your elevator stall? Uh, that <laughs> okay. Let us go to uh, very quickly to uh, uh, oh Derek. Before we go to the phones, I have to ask you um, to help me fact check something, please. Right. What you got? I've been working on this. Do you remember a few weeks ago? Um, uh, Sheila Jackson Lee was in the news for berating. Her staff? Yes. Well, one of those people on her staff was a guy named Jerome. Now, his last name wasn't given in the uh, newspaper accounts, but he was one of the ones that she was bad-mouthing. So on Twitter, I've been seeing posts that one of Sheila Jackson Lee's uh, former aides committed suicide, and he was the one that she was bad-mouthing. And the guy's name... So I was able to dig out from Houston, Texas an obituary for a young man named Jerome, who it says in the obituary, um, he, let, let me just, the way they worded this is this paragraph in it. Jerome worked in politics and nonprofits, serving many elected officials from mayors to the United States Congress, but they wouldn't mention the congressperson that he served. Hmm. And I was like, hmm. And this fits in the time frame of what people are uh, saying, and he's from that area. So I'm still trying to find out if this is true. Did this guy, that Sheila Jackson Lee berate, did he commit suicide? Uh, well, <sighs> I can find headlines. I don't want to give the guy's last name out just in case it's not. Me either, and Sorry. I didn't. But if you just Google Sheila Jackson Lee suicide... It comes up. It doesn't come up from, you know, the New York Times, doesn't come up from the Houston Chronicle, doesn't come up from any, you know, news source you would have heard of. That doesn't mean it's not true. Actually, it could mean that it is true, and they're just circling the wagons. But it's weird how they, we don't know, and the concept of circling the wagons applies to journalists when it comes to a Democrat, doesn't it? Isn't it? Isn't it? It sure does. So Derek, where can people find you? Patreon.com slash Derek Hunter Podcast or townhall.com a bunch of times. Uh, not today, but tomorrow. And thehill.com on uh, Wednesday or just search Derek Hunter and my daily podcast comes up. D E R E K is how he spells Derek. Correct. Thank you, Derek, always. Man. Thank you, James. <laughs> always Mike. a pleasure, my friend. Crikey. Yeah, thank you, Crikey Mike. Coming back right after news, James Flippin is in today, and we're going to have a chat with James, too. And your telephone calls, 800-848-WABC, as our Saturday morning radio extravaganza continues. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? 
Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. It's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snerdly, on 77 WABC, the crown jewel of American radio. Welcome, my friends, to our number duo of our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. If you would like to be part of the program, 800-848-WABC is the number to reach us, 800 And with us, James Flippin, WABC News. James, how are you this weekend? Good morning, Bo. I'm doing well. It's kind of raw and not so nice around New York this morning, but, you know, other than that. Well, it's better than if you're sitting in in, in that prison where you did that story in the first hour, and we had a caller that actually uh, uh, talked about it, too. Uh, Derek Chauvin, and the reports came out last week that he was stabbed. So you say, okay, he was stabbed. And then they, then his family complained they're not telling us anything. We, we hear no news. They just say they're taking him to the hospital. It was life-threatening injuries, but he's not dead. Okay. So then yesterday the story breaks. Last night he was stabbed 22 times. On Black Friday, the prisoner you reported this said that he did it, um, he did it in tribute to Black Lives Matter. And then I read something else today that this guy was a former FBI. And here it is. Uh, Derek Chauvin was uh, stabbed 22 times on Black Friday in tribute to Black Lives Matter court documents alleged by an inmate who once served as an FBI informant. Hmm, he says. Hmm. And this is all happening in a federal prison that is... The Tucson Penitentiary. James, what do you make of all of this? Well, I mean, I think first and foremost, you just have to say that in an overarching sense, it continues to feel like our federal prisons just are not secure in any way. I mean, you know, the kind of anecdotal things that you constantly hear about in terms of, you know, assaults on inmates, inmate on inmate assaults, you know, the way that correction officers have to worry about their well-being, obviously. Um, there's no secret that, you know, prisons are horrible places in that respect. But you would think that there would be an attempt to secure a high-profile inmate like this. I mean, obviously, a guy like Derek Chauvin, uh, as infamous as both he and the case are, um, you know, inmates are going to know, well, what's going on there. So, yeah, um, I actually hadn't heard the FBI informant aspect of the story in terms of this guy uh Terskak, um who's 52 years old by the way and you know he's serving a 30-year sentence for crimes that are i guess connected to his time uh, allegedly with the mexican mafia so he also referenced that black hand um mafia type group in terms of you know the reasons why i guess he chose black friday um you already mentioned bo the black lives matter connection that type of thing you look, when everyone knows, I mean, look, even if you're just like a TV watcher, a TV police drama watcher, you know that if law enforcement officers are sent to any sort of prison, they are immediately 
a target. They are usually segregated, at least according from the Hollywood version, they are usually segregated from the rest of the prison population for fears that this exact thing would happen. So I guess what is bothering me is I just wonder, and and if I'm his family, I'm going to be very concerned about this. I'm just wondering if, I wonder if there's some intentional negligence going on here. That's the best way that I can frame it. Almost like you're saying that there may have been people or, you know, individuals in power that don't care that Chauvin would be at risk of assault, something like that. How how do you not, if you, I'm serious, if you're running a federal prison, and just as you said, we all know that this is a high-profile case. We all know because of the racial aspect of the case and the George Floyd death that he would be a target as soon as he walks into a prison. Mm-hmm. We all know that. So how do you, if you are in charge of a prison, not make sure that this prisoner is secure. I don't understand that. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it certainly defies explanation, just kind of what we've laid out up until this point. The one thing I'll say... It, 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 uh, let me just interrupt. It reminds me of something that happened in New York at Rikers Island. You had this very high-profile billionaire, a billionaire, sitting in Rikers Island, and then... He mysteriously dies. And it turns out that there's no camera footage around the time that all this happened. It turns out that there were all sorts of uh, 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 the, the protocol of checking in on him wasn't followed. And to this day, there is still speculation that perhaps Mr. Epstein didn't receive the sort of protection in jail that one would expect a person of his profile to get. This, to me, smells like the same kind of story. Yeah, I mean, and again, I'll just, uh, slight correction there. That was actually at the Tombs, not at Rikers Island. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, the Tombs. Yeah, down in lower Manhattan. Um, But no, another federal prison, and, you know, similar to what happened with Chauvin, you do have to wonder, you know, who was watching these individuals, you know, were there cameras? Uh, I did read that in terms of where Terskak allegedly attacked Chauvin, it was in the legal library. So, you know, I don't know enough about that. If if you have to have special privileges to be able to go in there, you know, maybe these are inmates who typically had not been violent um, throughout their time in, in general population or something like that. But uh, I did see where it was actually in the legal library where this guy allegedly attacked Chauvin. So, um, you know, maybe that's something that has some relaxed security. But, yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of a bizarre thing to think about just the way, again, referencing the notoriety of the case and the way pretty much I think most Americans have an opinion on it in some way, shape or form. I would venture a guess, and I'm not even trying to be callous in saying this, it's just kind of the way the narrative surrounding all this has been created and, and advanced for three years now that there's probably a lot of people in the general public that don't care that Chauvin got attacked. I would agree with that. I, I think that you're absolutely right. Let me switch gears to you. There's a story that comes out of Philadelphia today, and I was a little bit surprised that they're actually doing this. I shouldn't be. Um, and I wonder if you think this is something, given your history as a newsman, 
a journalist, whether you think that this is just the beginning of something that we're going to see spread. In Philadelphia now, legislators are banning people from wearing ski masks in certain locations because of rising crime. They don't want people to have the ability to be able to wear their ski. Now, I find this ironic, given that many of the mayors of these uh, of, of cities, like Philadelphia, wasn't so long ago that they were demanding that people put on a mask. And now they're saying, uh-uh, no mask for you, no ski mask. We're going to ban the ski mask in, in certain locations to help cut down on crime. You think this is just a one-off, or you think we're likely to see more of this going on? No, I mean, I think that the interesting aspect of what happened throughout the pandemic like you talked about there were plenty of people who through their own conviction about medical science or you know through their own fear paranoia whatever you want to say were super focused on the wearing of masks both themselves and others and you kind of talked about how officials were even behind that movement at times but there was definitely a conspicuous increase in the number of crimes where people were wearing masks. And I'm talking about here in New York City. And I remember even NYPD kind of coming out as the whole thing was starting to wane a little bit with COVID and saying, hey, look, if you really want to wear your mask when you walk into the bodega or you walk into the convenience store, you got to drop the mask for a second, kind of acknowledge yourself to the staff. Then you can put it back up and continue on into the um you know, place of business. Now, these, uh, from what I saw out of Philadelphia, are those, you know, ski masks, which, you know, again, I'm, I'm thinking that typically has like a, an opening for you to breathe in, right? Like, it's not like it doesn't cover your face entirely. It covers, yeah, it covers your face except for your, your, your eyes and your mouth. Right. It's so, a total, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so there's no, there's no uh, prophylactic there for a respiratory illness, I guess is what I'm saying. That's not blocking the droplets, from getting in. So, um, right. you know, I, I would think that this is in some way, I didn't read the legislation ex- explicitly, but, you know, referencing that medical masks are of a different, you know, classification or whatever it may be. But yeah, I did see where it's going to be, I guess, a $250 fine if you're violating that ban for the first time. And then I think it can go up from there, you know, maybe increasing up at around like $1,000 or something like that. But, um, yeah, uh, look, I, I don't think it's a one-off. I think that as the concept of it's okay to wear a mask has been introduced to society, uh, you know, we used to have laws where it's you couldn't wear a mask because of stuff like this, because of, you know, bandits and robberies and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, now they're saying, yeah, this is going to, uh, of course, there are already worries from opponents that it will, quote-unquote, unfairly target some people. Yeah, mm-hmm. The thugs. Um, but uh, but here's the other thing, though, I, I find amazing with this. Is, is, is this the best you can do to stop crime? Hmm. Uh, how about putting some criminals in jail and leaving them in jail long enough to have an impact on the crime numbers like we used to do? It used to be that when criminals were actually in jail instead of letting let free to roam the streets as soon as they committed a crime, that used to actually impact the crime. Imagine that. Imagine that enforcing the law actually worked, but but no, those are, I know those are relics of a bygone era. So it, it anyway. largely is, Bo. I have to say because I actually am reading here uh, a quote from Solomon Furious Worlds, who's an attorney with the Pennsylvania branch of the ACLU. 
he argued the bill would give law enforcement officials the ability to be prejudicial in their policing. And this is a quote. There is no evidence to suggest that ski masks cause or encourage violent crime. If you'd like to address violent crime, which is what you were saying, Bo, right? you'd, you'd like to address violent crime. Well, Solomon Furious World says, I'd like to suggest housing, food assistance, child care, things like that. What the hell does that have to... <laughs> I'd, like to suggest, I'd like to suggest locking up the freaking criminals. Right. That's well, what I'd like to suggest. Well, again, this attorney says that the campaign for the masks is a targeted attempt to get at people of color. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Can you just read that quote one more time? Sure. Please? So, again, this is Solomon Furious Worlds. He's an attorney with the Pennsylvania ACLU. He says there's no evidence to suggest that ski masks cause or encourage violent crime. If you'd like to address violent crime... He'd suggest housing, food assistance, child care, things like that. And then he went on to call the ski mask ban a targeted attempt to get at people of color. Uh-huh. Okay, Solomon, I got two or three covered for you. The housing and the food, the criminals get that in jail. So put them in jail. We got two of the three covered. The child care thing, not so much. But at least the housing and the food concerns addressed. If you put the criminals in jail, how's that? No, I mean, it's just it's more of the same, though, because, again, you hear it from people who often will say in response to people unhappy about, you know, bail reform, um, you know, lack of enforcement of certain crimes that maybe don't get to a certain level, things like that, that it's criminalizing poverty. The more you kind of look at some of these crimes and things like that. So it's again, it's it's not really surprising to hear this kind of thing. Speaking of poverty, how the Jets doing? (laughs) well uh not so great and you know as you may recall um i am a giants fan so technically don't worry i was gonna give a dog in the wrong uh team there but no actually you know the jets everybody's talking about whether or not aaron Rodgers should or shouldn't come back to practice because you know most of the time when you tear your achilles tendon it's an easy you're out for the year type thing but he had some kind of surgery and I, I feel like this is a really underreported part of the story, Bo. Basically, what happened was Aaron Rodgers had a surgery where, like, I can't think of a better way to describe it. A surgical Chinese finger trap was attached to each end of that torn Achilles tendon in order to, like, kind of bring it back together. Now, the old school way of doing that surgery, from what I understand, is more, you know, reattaching the tendon and then letting it heal over time. That's why it takes so long. But he had this kind of new surgery. It's called speed mesh that's supposed to make it easier to come back from that torn Achilles tendon. Uh, you know, I don't know. The guy's 40 years old. If he's going to play again, maybe it just makes sense to sit this one out. I, I really don't know. But that's that's the buzz as far as the Jets and, you know, whether or not Rodgers should come back. Now, I was going to say, and I didn't forget your Giants. Okay. I, speaking of poverty, okay. let's talk about the Jets. Now, speaking of crime, let's talk about the Giants. <laughs> well, I have a kind of funny story about that, actually. You know, so, you know, their, their quarterback right now, the Giants, they're on their third stringer, Mike yeah, who's, DeVito. Yeah, what's his name? Mike DeVito. Yeah, okay. Oh, I'm mm-hmm, sorry. Mm-hmm. That, that's not right. It's Tom DeVito. And Tom Mike, DeVito. Mike DeVito played for the Jets. Uh, Tom DeVito. Mike, Tom, whatever. Whatever. Yeah. It, mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of DeVitos in Jersey. I'll tell you that much. But And okay. this connects to my story. So Tom DeVito is the Giants quarterback. Wouldn't you know it? His father's name is Tommy DeVito. Well, my plumber's name is Tommy DeVito. And I kind of thought to myself, eh, you know, yeah, I wonder if they're related, you know, this, that, the other thing, you know, they're 
cousins or something like that. No, no. Tommy DeVito is Tom DeVito's dad. I'm sitting there on the couch last Sunday watching the game, and they show uh, the quarterback's dad going crazy in the crowd because they just scored a touchdown, and it's my freaking plumber with his jersey Italian mullet and his gold chains and everything, and I'm like, no way! This is my guy! His apprentice was just here the day before to fix the dishwasher. So, you know, that's my connection to the Giants these days, Bo, is that my plumber is the father of the quarterback. I love it. They're still in next to last place, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, tied for, no, no, let me reframe that. They're still tied for last place, right? I believe that's so, um, I guess maybe with the commanders or whatever. I mean, look, it's the haves and the have-nots because your, your boys um, are looking pretty good right now. And Minus three. And Nine obviously the Eagles, it's it's Nine a collision. It's a collision course. I, I still feel like the Cowboys have kind of yet to get over the hump when it comes to the Eagles, as they say. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out for sure. I do think okay. Dak Prescott will win a Super Bowl one day. I'll say that. Yeah. Well, I keep. I, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> you don't sound as confident. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Decade, decades of experience, my friend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, I know. Trust me, growing up in the '90s, everybody wanted to wear those Cowboys uh, starter jackets and everything. They you know, still you don't do. See them as they well. still do. They still do. There are more Cowboys paraphernalia out there than there ever will be for the for the New York um, midgets, yeah. uh, Giants. Right. Yes. Probably. Anyway, true. <laughs> James Flippin, always a pleasure. Oh, thanks for having <laughs> me. As Jim. always. WABC News, my friends, and WABC News will be here at the top of the hour. James flipping with us all day today. Ah, on this day in 2006, 25-year-old singer and actress was raking in the cash more than any other black actress in history at the time for her performance in Dreamgirls. The musical based loosely based on the history of Diana Ross and the Supremes. And on this day also, the other half of Mr. and Mrs. Z. I think he was in the news too. Or was that tomorrow? It may be celebrated tomorrow. Yeah. Mr. Z. That would be tomorrow. On December 3rd, 1999, it was reported that Mr. Z had been arrested in connection with the stabbing of a music executive, Lance Riviera. He was charged with first-degree assault. So the power couple in the news this weekend, Mr. and Mrs. Z on WABC. Talk Radio 77, our Saturday morning. Radio extravaganza. We're going to take your telephone calls, but... We also have, speaking of butts, our second installment of, I guess we're going to have to name this feature, and I've got a name in mind, What's in Your Fanny? When we get back on WABC Talk Radio 77, do not go away.
extravaganza. Now, here's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snerdly, on 77 WABC. Nineteen ninety-five. Mariah Carey goes to number one on the U.S. single charts. Her duet with Boys to Men. One sweet day, it made Mariah Carey the first artist in history to have two consecutive single debuts at number one. She debuted with uh, Fantasy, and then along comes this one, One Sweet Day. Boys to Men and Mariah Carey here on WABC Talk Radio 77. Okay, my friends, uh, last week you will recall that we discussed uh, a medical issue that uh, had some people, it, it kind of creeped a few people out. I'm not quite sure why, but uh, that was the story of the man from Minnesota who it was discovered had a fly a live fly, the fly was alive and buzzing around uh, in his colon. They, they they saw the fly. Yes, half-brick, Nick, you weren't here for this. Yes, yes. Uh, guy goes in for his uh, colonoscopy. They, uh, they do the insert. Nice little camera thing there that they do. Let's take a look. Let's take a peek inside, see what you've got going on in there. And uh, so they say, oh, my word. You have a fly. There's a fly, and it's flying around in there. How'd that happen? Okay? Uh, crikey. There's a fly up your bum. So, uh, the Daily Mail, being the thorough journalist that they are, went back and discovered that it wasn't just a live fly that had been discovered in people's uh, colons that also in previous years gone by that uh, doctors had discovered all sorts of things. When they did colonoscopies, they discovered that there were uh, some people had flies, of course, like we just mentioned, moths are some of the insects found. Also, a woman, yes, moth, yes. Also, uh, a woman in 2010... And they don't say where she's from, but a woman was discovered to have a cockroach in her colon. Cockroach. Yes, it was a German cockroach, if that makes a difference to you, nationality of the cockroach. It was a German one, little Nazi cockroach marching up and through the colon there, probably goose-stepping. Uh, the woman thought that she probably had consumed it Um eating something, and it just wound its way down where things wind their way down to. They thought the most plausible explanation was that she had consumed the bug while she was eating green, green lime jello because the, the 
the cockroach that was discovered there had some green particles around it. So we did that story, and um, yeah, and that was that. And some people afterwards were in a state of... Broadcast engineer for the Rush Limbaugh program for 30 years, the most well-known engineer in this country, Mike Mamone, broadcast engineer Mr. Mike Mamone, just texted me as I was going through that story to say he always tells the doctors to look for his car keys when they're doing his colonoscopy. But all sorts of things can be discovered that you see while people are searching about. Your bum. Now, <laughs> that brings us to what happened in any Indiana earlier this week. I sure do hope that Nursey nurses up. In Indiana, we, we did the story for those of you. <laughs> for those of you that were with us earlier in the week, this is a reprise of a story just to keep the the line going, and many of you did not hear it, so today's your chance to get caught up, as it were, on the news. Out there in flyover country, where America's small caffeinated mom lives, who will be joining us later, an Indiana ex-convict who by law is prohibited from carrying a firearm had a handgun hidden in his rectum when he was booked into jail and underwent a body scan and a strip search. His name is Christopher Boyd. I have no problem telling you his name. Uh, Some of you young ladies in Indiana, if you ever hear the name, you're out to dinner, guy introduces himself, hey, sweetie, my name's Christopher Boyd. Just keep that name in mind. Christopher Boyd, 32 years old, was a passenger riding in a vehicle. Police pulled him over in Evansville, Indiana. About 2 a.m. in the morning, the car had an an obscured license plate. The driver and another passenger were released. Bye-bye, bye-bye, after they were searched by the officers. But when the officers patted down Mr. Boyd, they discovered a small bag with multiple pills in his right sock. He told them they were Percocets. He got them from his Aunt Trish. Aunt Trish gave me some Percocets. And, and, and they took him to jail. He said he had problems, you see, with pain because he had had a bullet lodged in his spine previously. No one asked, how'd you get a bullet there? They don't normally just show up in your spine. But that's another matter for another day. He also, during the search, said, when they said, spread your legs. I know that that's something that some of you have heard during the course of your life. Spread your legs. Um, He said, nope, can't do it. Spinal injury prohibits me from spreading my legs. So they took him to jail. So off he goes to jail. Now. When police were searching him before they took him to jail, they said 
They asked him, do you have anything stuffed in your groin or your buttocks? And Mr. Boyd said, nope. Nope, nothing up me bum. We're good. So they took him to jail. And once he was in jail, police observed that Mr. Boyd was walking around with a limp. And he seemed to be clenching his buttocks when he walked. So the jailer said, hmm, clenched buttocks. I think we'd better scan that guy. He's clenching the butt. So they got him in a scanner, and lo and behold, when they were stripping him, they found two, two plastic bags containing marijuana tucked next to Mr. Boyd's scrotum. That's not the taint, the scrotum. He then, after they discovered what was near his scrotum, tensed up and refused to comply with them anymore, so they lowered him to the ground. An officer <clears throat> lowered Mr. Boyd's pants, and they found that he had something in his <clears throat> buttocks. In, in well, not in the in the in his rectum, and scans and all of that. An officer was finally able to see the object that Mr. Boyd had in his rectum. It was a handgun. Mr. Boyd had a Smith and Wesson bodyguard, a 380 caliber pistol, weighs about 12 ounces, about five inches long, has a right angle that you can't mistake, and they found the gun secured in his rectum. The officers then had to <clears throat> extract said weapon from his booty. I don't know how much they pay these people to do these things. I don't know how they choose the right person to do these things. Hey, officer, you have a lot of experience with extraction, with booty extractions. We've got one for you here. <laughs> Latex gloves. <laughs> That's not enough. Hey, guess what? We found the revolver. This would be a great story for the cover of Revolver magazine if they're run still around. Prince. What? Run it for Prince. Oh, they don't know whether the revolver was loaded that was in his behind or not. I still don't know. This is why I was wondering if Nursey Nurse is up. Nursey Nurse is already waiting, saying she hopes the safety was on. But, Nursey Nurse, I have a question for you out there in, in Radio Land. How, 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 a gun has a particular shape. It is a right angle shape. It is not, it, it is, I mean, 
Some people might consider five inches to be a lot, but it, the five inches isn't the part that how it has a right angle. How does one manage this is, I guess, my medical question for you, nursey nurse out there and all you nurses out there. How do you how does a person manage to do this? And America's small caffeinated mom is up, too, and she says that she's sending prayers up for the extraction team on this one. That was one hell of a disimpaction. Okay, we got to take a break right now. I hope that you have something appropriate. You do. We'll come back. Your calls are coming up. In the meantime, ah, I still don't know how he gets that thing there. We are up on our feet. You have to get up, Carlos. You got to move. This is halfway through the show. We play the morning dance every week. Spirogyra morning dance on WABC. If you're at home and you want to get up, this is the way to do it. We're up and we're moving. We're dancing. We're grooving on both Snurley's. Oh, man, look at Carlos. Carlos got it going on. Spirogyra, the morning dance on WABC. Coming back with your calls, 800-848-WABC. We have one more related story to all of this, and we'll get to that when we get back. That was our segment, What's in Your Fanny? Stay with us. On 77 WABC. Birthday today, 1981. Britney Spears. Number one single in 1999. Spent 82 weeks on the charts, at least over in the UK. She was, back in the day, the biggest selling teenage act in the world. Forty million albums. Britney Spears. Uh, the last story in the uh, trio of stories of the uh, What's Up Your Bum uh, is a story that is found in the New York Post this week. Olive oil can help you. I mean, I really don't know. I'll, I'll, I'm just going to read the story. This is the headline. This is them. This is not. Olive oil can help you poop, and Gen Z is really into this natural constipation cure. 
Around 4 million people in the United States suffer from constipation, so searching for a reliable remedy can be a crap shoot, says the New York Post. Uh, People are turning to natural remedies like drinking olive oil. Drinking olive oil. I guess you just put the olive oil bottle up and just drink it. The fats in olive oil can help smooth the inside of a person's, you know, and keep everything softer. It helps their the stuff that's there absorb more water, according to medical news today. Constipation happens because your colon, which might have flies, bumblebees, cockroaches, moths flying around in it, as we learned from earlier stories, absorbs too much of the water that's in the product there. And that's why it makes it difficult for people to go. And the olive oil apparently adds moisture back into the product, and everything is fine there. So that's just a helpful hint for those of you wondering, are there natural solutions to the problem? Now, I asked the question before the break, how did he get that thing, that gun, up the bum? And Nursy Nurse, who, by the way, is a registered nurse, has answered me. She says the rectum can accommodate. The sphincter, however, <clears throat> is another story. And I asked her about, uh, 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 she says the disimpaction is having to digitally. Let's go to the phones very quickly. And uh, let us go to Lynn in Woodbridge, who has been waiting. Hello, Lynn. Thank you for your patience. Hi. Hi, James. Um, I was just calling in in reference to the Derek Chauvin stabbing and what you were talking about. about. Yes. I I read... um, on the 15th of November this year, he he um, had discovered or found that there was evidence um, from a doctor about um, George Floyd most likely died from some kind of an aneurysm in his heart. He had a tumor. Hmm. And he appealed. Interesting. Um, and so he was appealing the case. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. And I just thought it strange that, uh, it, and it was days after that this stabbing happened. Yeah, very strange. Uh, I mean, I'm a I can be a conspiracy theorist, but I I just think it's a little strange. <laughs> I agree with you. It's very strange. There are a lot of strange things that happens in this world, and you know everything. I look up at the sky now, and I never look at the sky quite the same because I'm looking at these clouds and. And then, and I see clouds, and other people see the government putting bromide and other things up there. I, you know, and I keep hearing that one of these days I'm going to join with the conspiracy theorist, and my views will be changed. And I'm, yes, we have to take a break right now. We're going to come back. We're going to get more of your calls in. 
And at 800-848-WABC, anything you want to talk about. Coming up later, of course, Princess Di joins us. And America's small caffeinated mom. I've asked Rhonda to visit that guy in Indiana and see whether he's all right. I'll check in and see whether she intends to go see him. I mean, she's out there in flyover country with him, so we'll see. Neil Diamond takes us in. Your call is coming up on Boast Early Saturday Morning Radio Extravaganza. Nineteen sixty. Rick Savage, bass player with Def Leppard, comes on the scene. Rock of Ages on WABC. Let me tick Derek off. I saw Def Leppard when I went to my first overseas concert. Hear that, Derek? I was at Wembley, and 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 um, Def Leppard was the opening act. It was for I went to an NFL game over there with some friends, but I was over there to see the Kate Bush concert. Oh, great! I can't wait to take that call. Make sure he doesn't go away, Carlos, the guy you just put up. Thank you. Okay, let us head back to the telephones. Sandra, you've been waiting. Thank you for your patience. You're on Boston Early Saturday Morning Radio Extravaganza. Oh, good morning, James. James, you know, I hear often it said the New York Times is the New York Times. You know, I've heard it on the radio and stuff, and, and, and I got a whiff of why it's been said. You know, when we had the Holocaust, a lot of uh, information wasn't... Said, like, for instance, let's say there was um, 24,000 stories on the front page, maybe 1,200 got on, on the New York Times, and no, only 26 out of 24,000 got on the front page. In other words, it wasn't mentioned enough, and I often heard from people I know that during the Holocaust, it was on page 13. So you didn't get to know very much about what was going on. And now today, um, they have um, a journalist, his name is Solomon Hegey, and if you look him up, you'll see his name is all over the place. And he loves Adolf Hitler, he praises what he did, he's all in for what he did, and he'd like to see it done again, you know, to the Jewish people. So he was working at the New York Times and then let go, but then rehired again when we had the, the new war on October 7th. 
and he's one of the um, people who wrote the article saying that uh, Israel was behind the explosion at the hospital. So when I hear the New York slimes, that's kind of what it means. That's what I, I just had to get that off my chest. Well, and, I'm glad uh, you did, and thank you for that. It's not only, dear, it's not only with their coverage of what happened in World War II with Jewish people, it's what happens afterwards with the communists. The, the New York Times has a dubious reputation of not covering things from a balanced perspective. And if you go back and you look at their handling and their reporting of what was going on during the, the years where communism was experiencing uh, an exponential growth, there are so many so many citations that can be made about the unfair reporting back then, too. And, of course, we all know what it's like to try to get balanced reporting out of the New York Times when it comes to anything that has a different point of view from the orthodox liberal agenda these days. Sandra, thank you so much. George, In where are you calling from, George? Miller, where is it? Calling from uh, Miller Place, New York. It's right near uh, Port Jefferson. It's the town. Ah, okay, got it. Um, I'm a retired court employee. I was an associate court clerk in uh, criminal division for many years in uh, the city of New York. But first, I want to comment about the gun and the gentleman's rectum. I think an enterprising lawyer could sue Smith & Wesson for not putting a warning on the gun. Do not insert into your rectum. It may cause you harm. <laughs> so anyway, I, I wanted to talk about um, Mayor Adams. I have no amorous towards him. I live out in Eastern Long Island. I'm not going to talk of, you know, about it, but I can tell you, I've handled thousands of warrants over the years. I would bring it into the judge, and it goes the same way in federal court, which was down the block from us. And the judge would look it over and most times sign it, unless it was a prominent person or a famous person. He would really look it over and question the officers or the federal officers or the detectives or whoever brought it in. The judge in federal courts even stricter. The judge who saw that warrant to, to, uh, from, to get uh, phones from, from the mayor he real. I just suspect with, an, but I think ninety five percent sure he really questioned those agents and, and asked them what's about, what's the probability of you know conviction, and the way they served it on him in the street. I think Mayor Adams, and again, I don't wish him any bad. I think he's in big trouble. So all these, I'm I'm not a lawyer. I'm just some old dumb court clerk for many years. These, these pundits on the radio and TV to say that Mayor Adams, well, he, you know, he should be given the presumption of innocence, which he should, but they're trying to minimize um, the service. And I, again, I think he's in a lot of trouble. Well, George, you may very well be right. He says that he did nothing wrong, that he always emphasizes uh, to his team that they have to stay within the law with whatever they're doing. At the same time, he's saying that he did hire a criminal attorney. Um, and from what I read, he was criminal. I don't know that to be a fact because these days what you read in the newspapers, you have to also question. But he did hire an attorney. And it looks like this probe is widening. And other people are being caught up in it. So we shall see if there's any there there. 
I just think that I still find the timing of this unbelievable. He begs and whines to have a sit down with Biden over immigration. He's there. He's at the White House ready for his sit down. And then he gets the phone call. Hey, your campaign person just got, we didn't know at the time that she was his campaign person, just got raided her home. And by the way, there were more than one warrant. There was more than one warrant served that day. And Mayor Adams on the a few minutes before he's supposed to meet with Big Chief Joe Biden has to hightail it out of there and get back to New York. The timing, very suspicious. Uh, let us go to George in Rockland. George, how are you? I'm okay. Uh, always enjoy listening to you. I uh, hope you have a nice uh, Saturday. So, oh, I yes. told you, yeah, you screener here. I have a challenge uh-huh. and a dare for you, okay? I'm okay. sure you put it up there, okay? And no, he didn't. Okay, well, I'm telling you right now, okay? Okay, tell so, me. Okay, so I, uh, you know, I don't see you or I don't hear you uh, uh, talking about successful minorities. And I'm saying successful minorities, and I'm not talking about people in entertainment business, that's what you are here, or when it comes to criminality. I'm talking about people who are doctors, uh, teachers, uh, you know, and, you know, you know, pe- you know, people that made it and they can contribute a lot to the minority world, okay, as a sample here. And all it's portrayed here, okay, and it's both sides of the aisle here, okay, the neg- negativity. Now, you are in a prominent place. Now, George, I need you to hold on. because George, George, I need you to hold on because we have to go to the news. And then when you get back, I'll let you continue to try to postulate the notion that I don't talk about successful minorities. <laughs> oh, okay. Like I said, I'll take all comers. 800-848-WABC. Trying to check in with WABC News. James Flippin coming back. Our number trio of our Saturday morning radio extravaganza with Princess Di and America's small caffeinated mom in the next hour. Don't go away. Nerdly on 77 WABC, the crown jewel of American radio. And welcome, my friends, our number trio. So quickly it is upon us. 800-848-WABC is the number to call. 800-848-9222. I want to get back to the telephones very quickly. George from Rockland County had called in before the end of our our number duo. Uh, and George is saying that uh, you're yours truly here. You're a host. If I'm hearing this right, I don't spend enough time talking about uh, minorities who uh, excel, who are ex- who exceed, uh, who, who 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 are high achievers. I, I spend time uh, just being negative. Do I have this right, uh, George? Uh, you know, I I I would say I I, I would say the thrust. The thrust here, and because I do listen to you, not all the time, you know, I don't, like, for example, okay, there are some very successful people in the financial industry, which are minorities, okay? There is one specifically that I hear him many times, 
you know, uh, you know, coming on the business channel. So you're very successful, and people listening to him. He has his own uh, TV uh, shows and so on. Okay, there are people who are scientists, engineers. I'm sure the, you know, there's a wide area here, and I'm not necessarily just talking about the New York City area. I'm talking about the whole country as a whole here, okay? And I think it would do good for society for people to feel that there are successful people within the minorities, okay? And by the way, I don't consider a politician a form that people who should be uh, looking at, okay? To me, it's the lowest of the law, okay? But I'm talking about real professionals, people that, that did good, uh, for themselves, and people can emulate them, okay? Uh, you know, and, and this is just not being put enough or not at all or very little, okay? And frankly, I don't hear it from you, okay? Well, frankly, I would urge you to listen more, my friend. Um, I talk about successful people all the time. Now, I don't necessarily, even when they're black, and say, oh, by the way, this guy happens to be black. Because I don't, I don't view people like that. I view their successes being more important than their skin color, frankly. And I also don't do the same thing when it's when all the time it's a criminal. Like I didn't mention the race of the guy that had the gun up his rectum. <clears throat> I could have. I didn't because that's not really a significant part of the story. I don't. I don't mention the race of some of the criminals even though it's in the news because the newspaper likes it, because it's not significant to the story. There are times when I will talk about the cultural aspect of crime and of poor education and how it pertains to black people. But I also talk about people being successful. Now, I don't want to sound on the defensive because if you want to hear more of it, I also think that that's good. But I just don't, I'm not used to just singling out people because of their race, because of what they look like superficially. I'd rather... Focus on the achievement. We had, for instance, on the air a short while ago, we had an amazing story from one of the astronauts. He happened to be Mexican-born, and um, he's a, quote-unquote, what the left would call a person of color. And his career was just exemplified excellence in a way that very few people do. Um, I talk all the time about people. And many of them happen to, some of them happen to be in some minority situation who excel. I appreciate excellence. I strive to be excellent and want to get better. So I'm not going to just dismiss what you say wholeheartedly out of hand and say, okay, you're wrong. I'll think about it. And if there is an occasion that I think I should do more, I will consider that. Because I do think society needs good role models. But good role models are not on the basis of their race. It's on what they do. That's where good stems from. What you do, not what you look like. And I really believe that. And it's not something that I just say because it's a platitude. It is what you do with your life that's important. The color of your skin is a covering. We don't say, for instance, when we're talking about people, oh, you know, um, this person did this, this, and, and by the way, he had on a blue jacket today. Or he, um, unless you're the, unless you're covering 
uh, Melania Trump at a funeral. Then, oh, she had on a gray jacket. Everybody else was wearing black. Who cares? But normally, I wouldn't get on the air and say, blah, 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 this and he had on a, a, a striped jacket. He had on a beige jacket. He had on a white jacket. Because the coverings, the superficial coverings are just that. What is important is what people do, not the coverings. That said, I will be also the first to acknowledge that there are times when you see a person achieve something, and if you have a stereotype in your own mind, and that person uh, that person defies the stereotype in a positive way, we acknowledge it. So again, I'm going to consider what you said. Um, but I I talk about successful people of all colors, of all because I talk about their success, and you don't know what color they are because I don't usually highlight it. But thank you for the call, and I and 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 by the way. I appreciate, I appreciate very much your desire to bring something positive and to have people have more positive influences. I really do appreciate that. I think that's a good thing. Uh, Let us go to Doc in Manhattan. Yes, thank you so much for the call. Uh, You know, the point of this thing with the gun is that you know, if Bo Diddle was on your air, he would be able to answer that. And I'd like to know where he is. Why can't you open up and say, he, where is he? How come he's not on the air I don't anymore? Know. Excuse me, excuse me. Doc, number one, I am not in management here. Okay? Management decides who is on the air and who isn't on the air. I am an employee of a proud employee of WABC, and I do not question the decisions that management makes on who should be on their air. I'm happy to be here. And one day someone may be asking that question about me. But I'm not in a position to know what the personnel moves are in WABC. And even if I did know, it's not something that I would go public with. Because that's not my role here. I am an employee, and I respect the management of this station to do what they think is in the best interest of the radio station, and I don't get involved in that. So, and this, and that's life in showbiz, my friend. That's life in talk radio. That's life in the media. Someday you're there. One day you won't be. That comes to all of us. In the media, we will be here, and then one day we won't be. That's just the way it works. I appreciate your call very much. Nothing against Bo Deedle. Don't know him. I've seen him on TV many times. And I'm sure, he, and, and I didn't need Bo Deedle to answer the question about how the gun got up there. Nursing nurse. I have nursing nurse. She said that the <clears throat> man's um, behind could hold the weapon. I'll take her word for it. As a medical professional, she's probably seen more right angles than I have. Thank you, Doc. 
Let us go to Rick in Elmwood, New Jersey. How are you, Rick? Okay, how are you doing, James? You know, this gun story put a real bug up my ass. <laughs> this gives new meaning to the word backfire. <laughs> also, also, James, now we know why the Democrats are so easily triggered. <laughs> Indeed. Oh, that was very good delivery, my friend. Very good Thank delivery. You. Thank you. Uh, let's go to Robert in Suffolk. How are you, Robert? Hi, James. Thank you very much for what you said about identity politics, so to speak, which was really that guy's point about persons of color. You were very sincere and right on point. Well, thank you. I appreciate I'm, that. I really appreciate that. Thank you very much. Well, on that happy note, we shall flee to a commercial break, shall we, my friends? I always like that kind of compliment. And uh, let's see. Oh, yes, baby. Aeros. Uh-huh. Jaded. J-j-j-j-jaded. Aerosmith on WABC Talk Radio 77. My friend Matt Blaze told me you like this one. Yeah, this is like my favorite Aerosmith song, actually. When we get back, Princess Di will join us. Keep it right here. It's time for Radio Royalty with James Golden and America's Princess of Policy, Princess Di. Oh, yes, I've been waiting all week long, very patiently. Even as, oh, by the way, excuse me, Princess, though, I just need to chastise half-Brit Nick for a second. Hey, half-Brit, it turns out your king over there, I, I'm reading the reports that he's the one and another one that we're talking about the little baby skin color over there in that book. You know, your royalty folks over there could take a lot of learning from my own Princess Diana, who would never do such a thing. I'll tell you, Princess Di, those royals over there, they could take lessons from you. <laughs> oh, How are crazy. you, Princess Di? I'm doing well. They really Thank could. You, <laughs> really good. I mean, damn, really? It's like this age? It turns out it was the freaking king. You know, that baby's a little dark over there. He sounds like oh, one yeah, of them old yeah. southern boys from, from... He sounds like one of them southern Democrats from, like... The year 2000 or something. I don't know. Anyway, I don't mean to take you off course, Princess Di. <laughs> I just found well, that kind right. of funny. <laughs> Your show is always a rollicking good time, Sir James. <laughs> yeah, especially if you find out our how how you like our new feature. What's up your bum? I mean, good oh, grief, Diana. Now we ha 
I'm sorry, Your Honor. I should have known better. I mean, but really, guns, guns. Oh, I don't. I mean, think talk about the need for say anything better than your caller. I think that that was the uh, last word on that. Talk about gun control. The need for gun control. I mean, <laughs> anyway, Princess Di, let's talk Trump. Because yeah. this week, oh, I have been, I have been laughing myself silly. Diana, these people are on a tear. Princess died. They, a Trump dictatorship is coming. Oh, we should stop pretending that he's not going to be a dictator. These people are. I'm telling you, it's dawning on them. They, they haven't been able to stop him. And the panic is yes. setting in. It is so entertaining. Now, Trump this week says something about Obamacare, and he's got a lot of the GOP senators are a little bit uh, distressed with uh, President Trump. He doesn't seem to understand that we don't want to have anything to do with Obamacare. <laughs> What's going on there? You know, this I have to say, do you remember in 2012 that uh, Donald Trump tweeted, my Twitter has become so powerful that I can actually make my enemies tell the truth? <laughs> Ooh. The same thing. I have forgotten true. about that one. It is his superpower, I believe. But the same thing is true now with his truth social. And what happened was very interesting. The Wall Street Journal had a policy piece as an op-ed, part of their editorial page, explaining the unintended consequences of Obamacare, how all the insurance companies were consolidating, how they were buying their own pharmacies because Obamacare law put a cap on their profits. And as Rush used to always say, companies don't just sit around and when you attack them with tax policy or any other policy and just act like nothing has happened, they change. And that's always right. the unintended consequences of a bad law. And so, in fact, the consolidation of companies, the insurance companies and buying their own pharmacies, they are now escaping the rules against profit making by paying themselves because they own all of the aspects now of the healthcare system. So the Wall Street Journal wrote this very good analytical piece and Trump saw it and posted it on his true social and responded to that and said the cost of Obamacare is out of control, plus it's not good health care. I'm seriously looking at alternatives. We had a couple of Republican senators who campaigned for six years against it and then raised their hands not to terminate it. It was a low point for the Republican Party, but we should never give up. Now that, attached to a serious policy piece, is a serious comment in the political world that should be taken seriously. In fact, what happened was the Republican Senate is peeved. They are bent out of shape. And in fact, <laughs> there's one headline which I, GOP senators feel ambushed by Trump's policy promises. They are mad. And the quotes I've got of Romney saying he throws so much spaghetti on the wall, I don't think any of it makes any difference. And other senators say, boy, I haven't thought about Obamacare in a while. They have no intention of going along with the leader of the party, likely the nominee of the party, 
And are they busy then helping Trump? Let's look at it. Let's take out the legislation that we had turned down in 2017 and and update it. No, they are just big mad and rushing to all the outlets. The, The amount of media coverage that their quotes and their anger and how mad they are that Trump brought this up because it's something they don't want to deal with. It's a nightmare, according to the media coverage for Republicans. And instead of actually solving a real problem the American people are suffering under, which is what Trump's motivation is, they are just like, well, we're not going to do anything and we're not going to provide any legislation. And he's just crazy. When in fact, It was a serious idea. He has the Heritage Foundation and he has Bobby Jindal, if you remember, the former governor of Louisiana, who is heading this policy in the American First Policy Institute. He's in charge of coming up with health care procedures. So the criticism of Trump is he's got nothing. He's just spouting off. He's so spontaneous and he upends the whole race by by just spouting off. And it's not true. He has a serious goal and he's got serious people working on serious proposals. And what's standing in his way immediately is the Republican Senate. So I am very glad that Trump has thrown this into sharp relief and that we see who the problem is for all of those who don't already know it. It's the Mitch McConnell team. Let me just uh, add to that. The Wall Street Journal last week had a piece critical of Obamacare as well. And that piece featured criticism from Senator Elizabeth Warren, who was now looking at the shortcomings of Obamacare. And in fact, Derek and I had a lengthy discussion, and, and part of it was that, and I asked the question, why haven't Republicans put together their own alleged health care plan This is something that is affecting the American economy and affects almost every American. The fact that health care in America is still a jumbled mess. And the Republicans, as you say, under Mitch McConnell, under the turtle, don't want to do anything about it at all. They're just content to let the issue wither on the vine and let people just keep suffering with this, despite all their promises. And McConnell... McConnell himself was the one that promised that 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 he and 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 then one of those speakers either either Boehner or or who begat Ryan one of them and Mitch McConnell promised America that they were going to dispense with that law once and for all. Right. Well, that's what I was referring to. The Elizabeth Warren has an Obamacare epiphany in the Wall Street Journal was the editorial that Trump posted. And that's what right. he was reacting to. And that was about the problems because the consolidation and the getting around these rules that it's lessening the options for the American healthcare consumer. It's hurting people. And that's what Trump's responding to. And that's what the uh, GOP Senate doesn't care a whit about. And the answer, I heard your discussion with Derek Hunter on that. And the answer is more competition and more freedom. And, and what, we have now is government rushing in to try and 
and solve problems that government caused. And so the um, Ted Cruz, of all people, said, look, I really proposed within that 2017 um, legislation that Joe McCain gave the thumbs down on in a way of introducing more competition and less regulations. And he said, I'd love to reintroduce that. Let's look at it. So he's the only one I saw willing to do the work, to do the preparation work on the likely uh, nominee's policy plan of addressing the problems of American health care. So and I think that about, it's really helpful to know who is the enemy here, and it's not and, Trump. And speaking of other thoughtful policies, now people may think this is frivolous. There's a lot of attention being paid to what President Trump said about MSNBC. This is not a small matter. The MSNBC is not under FCC regulation because they are a cable news outlet. And what Donald Trump has said about MSNBC that has a left in a tizzy is we're going to look at this. We're going to look at whether this continued Democrat propaganda on a supposed news network, these are my words, not his, constitute in, in kind spending. Well, this is a legitimate this is a legitimate issue, and it extends beyond MSNBC. It extends, it extends into social media platforms as well, and it extends into the big money. Democrats used to always talk about two things, dark money and campaign finance reform. They're not talking about it because they are spending billions of dollars in quote-unquote dark money and because they get so many in-kind contributions from unions, from media outlets who are unregulated, and from social media. And Donald Trump is actually, just like he's one of the ones who first pointed out the problems with China and how we had to deal with China and the, and the disparity of, of the economy and what they were doing to America, he's pointing out something that is a very serious concern to the electorate in the United States and how we run elections. This is not a frivolous matter. This guy is actually proposing in his second term, he is thinking big. This yeah. is not like the first term. If, if he gets a second term, he's actually coming in with an agenda. And it is a, this agenda is not small. This is, right. these are big ticket items that will have, that will impact this country, I believe, many ways for the better. Well, that's why they're calling him a dictator ahead of time, because they see that. They see he's prepared. Now, if you go to the website, Agenda 47, which is Trump's, you know, will be the 47th president of the United States, he enunciates all of his policy proposals. And it is detailed, and it is widespread, and it is wonderfully inspiring. And so this is a serious campaign for serious issues and addressing problems that we have as a country. And so, of course, the media is never going to explain any of that. And, of course, the Republic elected Republicans, most of them, the establishment ones, are not going to give it any serious treatment, and they need to be shamed. Well, speaking of shame... Uh, you uh, mentioned to me a story about uh, former Vice President Pence. And I don't... You laugh when I say his name. And I don't... The story is so hilarious. Did you hear about him lying to his manuscript? <laughs> I, I, I must have missed that, Diana. What is the story there? <laughs> okay. First of all, 
I will tell you the basics. This has has starts with Jack Smith, the special whatever he is prosecutor. Yeah. And so one of the many uh, problems, legal problems that Trump has is that uh, Jack Smith indicted Trump for conspiracy to defraud the United States. This is related to the January 6th event. And so Jack Smith is interviewing all of the people as witnesses. And one of the people he, he interviewed was Mike Pence. And according to a new report by um, ABC News, the um, investigators just bore down on Pence over the placement of a comma in his book. So I did read up. this. Okay. So the way it reads, this quote is as follows. You know, comma, I don't think I have the authority to change the outcome of the election. And so the theory of the case of the special prosecutor is, oh, man, that comma after, you know, is inconvenient. Didn't you really mean to say, you know, I don't think I have the authority to change the outcome. In other words, the quote without the comma, Pence would have been gotten on the record as saying that Trump was aware that the election was not stolen. He knew it. Trump said it. And Pence, you know, basically was was writing it on the record. You know that I don't have the power and you're well aware of it. So Pence went along with this. Pence said, yes, that comma was a mistake. Oh, boy. I oh, lied to my comma. I shouldn't have had that comma in there, Mr. Special Prosecutor. And I agree that needs to be removed. So that is now on the record. And CNN is basically having flights of fancy uh, saying this is the most important. This is the crux of the case. Pence is going to just get the walls are closing in on Trump legally that Pence by changing the comma, removing the comma, he is just going to that's the consciousness of guilt that Trump supposedly had that he really knew he didn't win. And he said so to, to Pence. And so by Pence taking that comma out and to me, this is like the guy you remember during Whitewater who lied to his diary. Do you remember yes. Josh Steiner? J- Josh this Steiner, who, right. Up, it was the Whitewater hearings, and he had a damning passage in his diary, you know, which implicated the Treasury Secretary at the time who covered up things having to do with Whitewater. And so when the hearing came and Josh Steiner had to testify, he basically came out and said, oh, yeah, well, I, you know, I kind of made that up. And so Rush came out with the line, this guy is claiming he lied to his diary. And that is how the news media framed it after that. That lying to your diary became, you know, Newsweek wrote an article basically saying, yes, we all lie to our diary. <laughs> 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 a normal thing. You remember they used to defend everything Clinton did. So, so when I was reading this about about Pence saying yes, I you know I lied to my comma, I was like, okay, you cannot go back and change the record after the fact and have it stick. And if this comma is what the special prosecutor is hanging his case on, this is not going anywhere. It's just laughable. Well, I understand too that um, now Donald Trump's lawyers are saying, hey, this case falls if it comes up 
And we're going to have to put this case off. If it comes up near the election season, clearly election interference, if he wins, this case is going to have to be put off until 2029. And I I just cannot wait to see how some of this plays out. This is going to be interesting. I think that this part of it is very entertaining, and it needs to be made fun of because it's ridiculous. Oh, yes. You know how publishing works. I know how publishing works. The amount of people who looked over at that passion, particularly the legal team, Pence's people, the, the publishing people, all of the people involved in wanting to get that narrative on the record. There is no way anybody had a typo with the eyes looking on that. That was what was said and meant to said with the comma. You cannot go back and change that. Well, they, these people will stop at nothing. Diana, to try to get Trump, they will, and we we are seeing this. They will stop at absolutely nothing. Well, as usual, as usual, you bring a perspective that is missing from the mainstream media. That's because you see things so clearly, Your Highness, and we appreciate it. Thank you so much, Princess Diana. And we will catch up with you next week. Lovely you, having you here. As always. And by the way, I'm going to be keeping a I'm going to get some little color charts for the royal family and start sending them some color samples to see what's acceptable over there across the pond. Hear that half break, Nick. Anyway, thank you, Princess Di. We'll catch up with you later. Thank you, Sir James. Saturday morning radio extravaganza is in your ears. Now, here's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC. December 3rd, that would be tomorrow, 1951. Birthday of Kimberly Rue. From the British American, the half Brit, half American group. Katrina and the Waves. This one was big in 1985. Walking on sunshine. Let's head to the telephone, shall we, Dave, in Arizona. You are up next on our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. How are you, Dave? Hey, good. good. Merry Christmas to you, Bo. And, uh, you know, I was telling your call screener, Roger Hitchcock used to have a show here in town, and he's since retired. Uh, he was used to be the mayor of San Diego, but he he filled in for Rush over the holidays and and Sean Hannity when Rush would take his annual vacation, and and uh, the guy from Justified that won U.S. Marshal on the TV show he filled in for Rush. But there was a scam going on. Roger was talking about it in New Mexico where a sheriff would pull you over off of you know because you got made two major interstates going through New Mexico. Interstate 10 going east-west and Interstate 25 going north-south. And they would pull you over, suspect you of having drugs. Then they would run you to a doctor and give you a colonoscopy and charge you. Charge you, my good man. 
It's like, what the, you know? I, I didn't, Ew. I oh, my goodness. Boy, hey, I, what's up? You know, a lady called up earlier talking about Mark Stein. Him and Tucker were on YouTube. They were doing a gig, and uh, I guess Tucker was doing a book. And uh, you, you can go back and watch that. It just happened a couple months ago. But Mark Stein looking good on, the, on, on YouTube anyhow. So, But, hey, Merry Christmas to you, Bo. We listen to you. We're trying to get you down here on the local station for rush hour. It's at least an hour a day, and uh, we're talking to the program manager. We're trying to tap into 77 WABC. So we're going to. I love it. What station? What station do you? What station are you listening to out there in Arizona? Well, I got on my phone. I have what they call a Talk Right app, and I'm listening to you on Talk Right. They have a Talk Left, but nobody listens to Talk Left. Who listens to Talk Left? Nobody. You know. I love it. Yeah, 77 WABC. You can get on the Play Store and get Talk Right, and you can pick up. I mean, there's all kind of stations. You know, I love it. And where where part of Arizona? I'm, what I'm part of Arizona Tucson, are you calling from? In Tucson. Tucson. Cool. Outside of Tucson. Lukeville just got invaded by 700 illegals uh, just a couple of days ago. 701 day. That's insane. Lukeville is like on the way going to Rocky Point, Mexico. You know, amazing. Well, listen, thank you, Dave. I, I appreciate the call. Merry Christmas to you, too. And I'm just going to say a word about Roger Hedgehog. Those shows you were talking about, I was there. I used to fly out from um, from New York to, to San Diego so I could do the shows when Roger Hedgehog would fill in. I will never forget the shows that we did. We were on the air live when we got the news that Princess Di had um, Princess Diana in the car crash there. And then with that same show, or within that, I don't remember if it was the same day, but we also then got word Mother Teresa had passed away. And we were on the air at that time. It was, those were remarkable shows, remarkable times. Roger Hedgecock, great guy. Uh, all the, the entire guest lineup, he mentioned Nick Searcy, who was a friend. Nick was on the program recently. Uh, Nick is just an amazing actor. He's an amazing director. Again, a guest host, Walter Williams, of course. Derek mentioned earlier Mark Stein. We had so, we, we had a good lineup. I can go. I go all the way back to B One Bob. I don't know whether anybody remembers that during the very early days of the show. B One Bob, Bob Dornan, sat in for us too, and so you had some others, of course, uh, that were there that are amazing. My good friend Ken Matthews among the guest hosts that we used. We had people sit in. Mary Matlin used to do the show. I cannot forget Tony Snow, my 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 friend that I miss so dearly, Tony Snow was among the guest hosts that, that, that sat in with Rush, and we had so many others. Mark Davis, what a beautiful guy he is. It, um, we had guys, it was just amazing. And one day I'll do the full lineup. I'll bring the full lineup of guest hosts that we had and just talk about these guys if, if we have time. Maybe maybe um, when we go back and talk about Rush in February, which we will do, or on this birthday, which was, would be January 12th coming up. Anyway, we got to go to a break. When we come back, we're going to check in with America's Small Caffeinated Mom, and then we're going to check with more of your calls. So if you're on hold, stay on hold. We're going to try to get to as many phone calls as we can squeeze in. One of my favorites, Sade. Or as uh, Derek called her, what did he call her? Sade. That's what he calls her, Sade. Sade on WABC, Kiss of Life.
the Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Now, here's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC. The things you remember. This song was on Steely, is on Steely Dan's Asia album. And that happened to be the first CD when I was making the transition from vinyl to CD. The first CD I bought was Steely Dan Asia with this one on it. And now people say, I, I my great nephew the other day, I had a, I had a CD and he's looking at me, what's that? America's small caffeinated mom, Rhonda Schrock, from America's heartland, Indiana, where people put guns up their bum, is with us right now. Good morning, Rhonda. Good morning, James. Hey, everyone else here is normal. I promise. <laughs> right. Uh-huh. Yeah, Rhonda. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. That's a holster you can't buy on Amazon. I have never heard the like. <laughs> I don't know, James, if my homemade chocolate chip cookies and cold milk can heal that. Whatever he has going on, that can fix a lot of things. I've quelled a lot of um, insurrections here with milk and cookies, but I don't know. That one's above my pay grade. <laughs> yeah, I think that may be a little bit deep. What uh, is uh, what is your essay this week where people will be able to find it at the Daily BS? Um, yes. What did you choose to write about this week, Rhonda? Well, I decided to kick off the Christmas season with a story that's very special um, to us here because this week, this week after Thanksgiving, has a very uh, precious piece of family history in our life yeah. and stories. Yes, that's when it was this week that we found out yep. that after many years, we were going to be parents again. At the time, we had an almost 16-year-old son uh, who was in high school. We had a 12-year-old in middle school and a 7-year-old in elementary, so three schools. I was working full-time from, from our home as a medical transcriptionist. My husband had started his own business. Uh, I mean, and that's a huge risk, so huge respect to people who step out, take that risk with no government help or assistance, and just build something special. So anyway, to support his efforts, I had taken that job here at home. I was transcribing every day. And for the first time in almost 16 years, all of the children were in school because they're so far apart. I, you know, I had somebody with me. Well, for the first time, they were all in school. I was really leaning into my career. I was loving it. And all of a sudden, we got the news that we were going to be parents again. And I can't tell you the feelings that swept through both of us. Uh, humanly speaking, that news came at the worst possible time. We were um, pouring every spare penny that we had, which weren't very many, but every spare penny into renovating an office for my husband to set up his shop. I had come off of a third pregnancy that was very high risk. It cost I think ninety to one hundred thousand dollars. We had insurance at the time, thank God, which covered that, but it was still very stressful. But this time, we had health insurance, but not maternity coverage. And so, with that history in my mind, we I thought, how 
how are we going to make it? Because I wasn't working at that time, but I was now. I could not afford to go to bed, you know, for two and a half months, plus having all that extra expense. My head was exploding. The next day I got up, the Christmas tree was, was up, the lights were on, and the house was quiet. And I thought about Mary, the mother of Christ, and how she had gotten very unexpected news. You're going to have a son. And so I picked up my Bible, which is where I find my comfort, and I turned to her story. And I, I read her words, and I thought about her attitude, and she said to the angel who came, be it unto me according to your word. I, I accept what you have planned for me, and in the quietness of my hope, <laughs> I said, me too. So we, we wow. just got up day after day, and the Lord kept me on my feet. I did not have to go to bed, and at 35 weeks, that dark-haired baby boy was born with all three of his big brothers in a room nearby at the hospital. And uh, he had to go to NICU for a while, but he recovered. He's healthy as a young horse. He is the delight and joy of our lives. We look back now and think, what, what a great and incredible gift we received, even though it seemed terribly inconvenient at the time. And I remember some months after he was born, we ran into a client of my husband, and he said, how is it going, you know, with this, with this baby? And we said, well, it's really been an adjustment. And that wise man said, so it's been an adjustment to receive the blessing. And we went, yes. It has been, and that's just how it is. Well, when that boy was 12 years old, I have to tell you this. He came to me one day, and he said, Mom, what do you think I will be, or what will I do? I said, you mean like for your life's work? And he said, yes. And I said, well, buddy, we don't know that yet, but God will show you when you need to know it. And he said, well, with all solemnity, he said, well, I think it's going to be something important because I don't think that God gave you an extra kid for no reason. Wow. wow. Those words just ring in my mind all these years wow. later. And it's so true, James. God doesn't give us these extra things that we didn't plan and didn't expect for no reason because he never wastes a thing. <laughs> That's what I know in 34 years of mothering and 56 years of being alive, that nothing is ever wasted when we choose to embrace it and we accept it and we learn and grow. And what a gift. He's now leading Bible studies for his peers. I have mothers who come to me and say, my son just loves your son. I'm so glad that they're friends. He's, he's just a light and a joy everywhere he goes. We Wow, Ronnie, your line is starting. To, your phone line is deteriorating a bit here. Oh, Sorry about okay. that. This is such a beautiful story, my darling. It is so beautiful, and mm -hmm. so we just on that happy note, we'll say thank you for sharing. You can yeah. find Rhonda's essay at the Daily BS. Rhonda, you yeah. are amazing. Every week, <laughs> every week, you come with you come with thank another you. one. So beautiful. Thank, thank you, Rhonda. Appreciate it. Blessings we'll to you later. and your family as. Yes, we will. As we start off the holiday season here on WABC, let us head back to the telephones in the final moments we have left. Dom in Minnesota. My Dom, how are you this morning? Very good, sir. Thank you very much, and a happy Merry Christmas and early Merry Christmas. Uh, you know, I have to agree with the last few callers about propping up successful minorities on your show. Not as a person. I agree with you that 
success should not be attached to the color of your skin. But you are, after all, a very successful member of that group who has the respect in the ear of people, irrespective of their political affiliation. You can do that without referring to specific individuals, but to a group as we Americans wish to influence in crossing over to our side, politically speaking. You, Mr. James, uh, could be a powerful antidote to the democratic machine's opportunistic use of minorities as voting blocks and nothing more. If I, I can I do anything, God willing, here's Dom, if, let me just say something, and I appreciate what you're saying very much, but I want to tell you something, and I want to use maybe this time to just explain to you, one of the things that offended me to no end, we were talking about Obamacare with Princess Diana. When Obamacare came in, all of a sudden, every time you go to the doctor's office, you had to fill out these lengthy forms. Remember, this was supposed to all go digital, and it was supposed to kill the paperwork. It created more paperwork, actually, because it always does. And then one of the questions that they had to ask, because the Obama administration was so intent on proving how bad things were between the races, you had to start answering in all your racial information. Are you this, that? And they had like, you know, 20 lines, I'm exaggerating, maybe 10 of choices. Are you this? Are you that? Are you a blah, blah, blah? Are you this? Are you that? And I used to answer the question one way. The question said, what race are you? And I used to answer the question with one word, human. I'm a member of the human race. Now, let me tell you something. We all keep saying that we want a colorblind society. We all keep saying that we want to get past the point where color becomes relevant to a lot of discussions. We all say that. Words are one thing. It will happen when we do that. When we realize that we are the human race and that the human race has one creator. And that's it. And we are all descended from that one creator. And we are human. And not only are we humans, we are spiritual beings having a human experience. And the color shade that you are does not make a difference. What you do with your life does. And so I hear what you're saying, and for those of you, I understand your intentions. But in my life, I'm really trying to view things and live my life like that, as a human. And some of these other things, eh, not so much. Anyway, my friends, so quickly we have arrived at the end of the road. Another three hours in Zakan, so to speak. May God bless and protect each and every one of you, your families, your loved ones. I am so grateful for my crew. Have Brayden, Nick, Carlos, TJ, Derek, Hunter, Princess Diana, and America's small caffeinated mom, Rhonda Schrock, and you, this audience. God willing, we'll be back. Monday mo- Monday afternoon for Boston Early's Rush Hour at 4 p.m. Until then, bye.